Welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast at the centre of the futures, options and listed derivatives markets and the interesting people who work in them, run exchanges and regulate this industry. FIA's mission is to support open, transparent and competitive markets, protect and enhance the integrity of the financial system and promote high standards of professional conduct. Please note we have a lengthy disclaimer that I encourage you to listen to or read at FIA.org. But in short, this podcast is meant to be informative about this industry and should not be relied on for investment advice. And now here's your host, FIA President and CEO, Walt Lucan. All right, well, welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast about global markets. Uh, My name is Walt Lucan, and I appreciate you joining us for this episode. If you're listening at home, uh, you should know that we're recording this live uh, before our audience at FIA's annual expo conference here in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Part of what I love about doing podcasts is I get to talk to interesting, extraordinary people, whether it's Doc Sander from our industry helped invent financial futures, or Terry Duffy, who runs the CME, or Kay Swinburne, member of the European Parliament. Um, And it's normally about people in our industry, the futures industry and our markets. But today we have a couple special guests. This is our first actual actual father-son <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I want to introduce uh, our, our two guests here today. Uh, Jerry Corcoran, who is CEO of the futures brokerage firm, R.G. O'Brien, uh, which has been helping farmers, producers, and customers for over 100 years. Uh, Jerry is also a member of the FIA board uh, and our former chairman. And we're also thrilled to have Pat, his son here today, who has uh, found incredible success in the music industry, most notably as the manager of Chicago's own Chance, the rapper Bennett. And so welcome both of you to FIA Speaks. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. So we're, we're thrilled to dive into a variety of topics here, um, both about how you came to succeed in your own distinct career paths. And maybe, Jerry, I'll start with you, the more, uh, the more traditional, I would say, for our industry yeah. career path. But, you know, how did you get into our business yeah, you know, what was your start? Who gave you your breaks? And you know, are there mentors that you remember that led you to your position here today? Sure. Thanks, Walt. Well, I think everyone has a series of mentors and and steps in their careers that um, define you and give you the opportunity to take advantage of situations. And uh, I graduated with an accounting degree from Loyola here in Chicago, and uh, my first job was with Hart Shafter Marks. I was an internal auditor on the accounting side, and my first boss and I hit it off and he gave me a lot of breaks. And, you know, the next step was I got a big break from a gentleman by the name of Ben Smiley. Uh, His son, Bart, is in the audience here today. And Ben got me uh, included in a startup uh, venture that the Chicago Sun-Times started. And I, I, I do not exaggerate when I say this, but it was the precursor to what we know today as the internet. The Sun-Times coupled with Honeywell, and Centel put a joint venture together and uh, to distribute news and information, create connectivity to banks and airlines um, to do all the things we take for granted today. Um, so I was the CFO of that, that joint venture and um, the joint venture was just too early. You know, there's a lot of technologies where the entrepreneurs are just, you know, a bit too early. And in this case, we were too early because there weren't even PCs then. We we're doing it with these desktop Connect, con- connections to your TV that we used to connect the Pong game with that way. So it was just a bit early, but 
That spawned into an opportunity to become the controller of the Chicago Sun-Times. The Sun-Times uh, controller was retiring. They had exposure to me in this um, joint venture. And I got brought up and was named the, the, CF, uh, the controller of the Chicago Sun-Times. And I never once gave it any consideration whether I could actually do the job <laughs> when I applied for it. <laughs> and I got the job. And I remember walking into like the accounting department at the Sun-Times and there was like 200 people there. And I got to my desk and back then you had a secretary, which I know is, uh, is not what we'd like to think of that. But my, my administrative assistant, she said, what can I get for you? I said, give me a few minutes. <laughs> and I closed the door and I sat at the desk and I said, Jesus, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so um, I picked up the pieces pretty quick and we, we figured it out and had a, had a, had a nice run to Sun Times. Rupert Murdoch bought the paper when I was there. It was the beginning of the exchanging of newspaper rights all over the country and the beginning of the writing on the wall of the consolidation of the newspaper industry. Um, but things weren't so great there because my boss was and I didn't jive, which was really hard because I usually connect with people in a pretty good way. And um, so one day, my best friend, whose name is John O'Brien, uh, he and I were um, longtime friends and, you know, beer drinkers. And he said, let's let's go to the Cubs game. You know, let's go to the Cubs game. So he was a trader. John was a trader. His family owned R.J. O'Brien and Associates. And we went to the Cubs game. We did our usual, you know, beer and inning kind of thing. You know, we were, <laughs> we were young, irresponsible males. And um, but John was telling me how that um, the family business was in transition. They had um, years earlier hired a, a gentleman who was a, um, a partner from one of the public accounting firms. Didn't work out too well. And John was going to take more of a leadership role in the company. And, you know, after eight or nine beers, I realized he was recruiting me to be the CFO <laughs> of the business. And, uh, you, and so there was a lot of thought about it. Not too long. But, um, you know, the main thing I worried about was working together would ruin the relationship. That was the biggest thing I was worried about. But it didn't. And so 33 years later, I joined RTO in 87. And we had... Um, the first day I walked in the door, we had 65 employees. By Friday of that week, we had 35 employees. We had to tree, trim the tree a little bit, and we had to start over. And to think of all the technology that there is in our industry today, when I walked in the door, we had two PCs in the whole company. And the back office was all outsourced. And so that was really ground zero for me in the futures industry in 1987. And how, how big is RJO today? Well, today we are a global firm. Um, we're moving on in on about $600 million in revenues. Um, we're in pretty much every country um, th that is meaningful in the futures industry. We have 550 employees, $5 billion in customer assets, and um, just an awesome company with awesome colleagues that um, we've really, really worked hard to get there and to remain relevant as an independent FCM. So 35 to 500 in that period of time. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it can be overwhelming at times, too, because we really care about every employee. So, Pat, growing up in that household when your dad was doing all this, was, was this something that was – our industry, you know, I, I, it's hard to talk to people about it. It's hard to explain to spouses and children about it. Uh, were you aware of your dad and his status and what he was doing and in our industry, uh, or was it just not talked about at home? 
it, it was talked about, but I didn't really understand a lot of it. And, um, you know, him working with the O'Briens was, you know, I was born in 90. So uh, 87 is three years prior to me being on, on Earth. So, um, but yeah, I just, it, it, uh, it never really struck me as something as a crazy thing. But uh, what I do remember seeing is just him getting up every morning, spending time in the office at home. And uh, as soon as he gets home, um, you know, spending more time in the office than going to bed. <laughs> so sort of like my introduction. So, you know, and I do reference that a lot, you know, in, in, in my life, you know, watching him. And then obviously there's some big moments that, that made my ears perk up yeah. when they sold, um, you know, there was some sort of acquisition. I don't know really transaction, transaction yeah. that happened. And, um, I remember I was in high school and, people started asking me about it, like people that I didn't really know. Yeah. And that's when my ears perked up. And I started hearing the types of transactions that were happening. And, and I was like, wow, all those mornings and evenings in the office equal something that could be like this. So it was, it was a, it was a um, inspiring thing for me to see. And you know, I think a lot of people work really hard in the morning, go to work, come back home at night. And, uh, I think for me, it, it helped me believe that if you, you know, you're a good person and you work hard and you're dedicated that, um, you know, those types of amazing things are possible. And definitely what he's done well is, um, you know, surrounding himself with um, and, and, and maintained an amazing sort of membrane of, of people and personnel. So um, those are things that I've sort of like just picked up through osmosis and being in the same house for for 20 years. And um, and uh, yeah, so well, those, those are great values and you know principles to, to live by you have on your own you know carved your own path of success mm-hmm. and so people in the audience may not know what exactly you do but it's amazing and so tell tell the to the podcast audience what what it is you do and how the hell did you come to it yeah i think mean, it's <laughs> it's an amazing um, alternative path that most most young young kids don't get to yeah, well, it's a, it's quite a lot of things um, at this point, but in the beginning of the journey, it was, um, so I managed Chance, and in the beginning of the journey, it was just me and Chance, and um, and so at that point, I did everything, um, and it's in a sense today, I still help oversee everything, but um, um, yeah, I mean, basically, while he's on stage or in front of camera or in the studio, um, I'm keeping wheels in motion. Um, for the for the business that 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 he represents. So, and how did you, um, how did you kid growing up on the south? So, how did you meet Chance the Rapper, and and uh, what's your connection to Chance Bennett? Cool. So, I was um, in college. He was in high school, and uh, we started a music blog. And um, he was one of the artists that we covered, hmm. and that's how we met. And um, not so long after that, I I met him and his father at a radio station. actually picked him up from his house, did him a favor. You know, I was just picking up some guys, some musicians from the, from the South side. Um, one off of like 82nd and, and Stony Island. And then chance was more near the highway. And then we made our way to Hammond, Indiana to do a, a radio interview. And, um, and chance's dad showed up and, and, um, that's, that's when we started pondering with the, or tinkering with the idea of, of potentially working together. Huh. Yeah. So most most music business is pretty corporate, I would say. Um, so how how this is a bit of a different model, um, you know what you're doing. It's 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 a bit more entrepreneurial. 
Um, you know, how are you trying to sort of reshape how the music business thinks about this? Yeah, Chance's journey is special, and I wouldn't say that it's for everybody. Um, but 10 years ago, there were two options. It was take it or leave it. So either sign up, sign all your rights away, get a big advance check, and then not really make you know much on the back end unless you were Madonna or Jay-Z. And what I like to think about, what we've pioneered is, you know, another option on the menu. So, you know, we've really forced the, the spectrum, you know, to open up. So instead of signing all your rights away, there's deals now where you can license your rights for three years, five years, 10 years, still get the help of a publisher or a label um, and have a shot at being a, you know, real deal superstar. So, um, you know, Chance obviously is trailblazed the path for independent. Um, but I like to think that we've also opened up the spectrum for people to do anything in between independent and like fully signed up to a major record label. And, and Jerry, when, when Pat came and said, Hey, I'm thinking about managing a, an artist, a rap yeah. star. Like what was, what was your reaction and your wife's reaction to that? Is was this well, uh, family was... therapy? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, we knew Pat was in the, into music, he was his summer jobs. He was hustling at these smaller venues and helping bands um, do their things. And uh, but he was in school at DePaul, and I, I absolutely remember it. Maureen and I happened to be watching a movie together, which I usually don't do. But the phone rang, and I said, "Hey, it's Pat calling." And I, hey, Pat, what's up? He goes, "Hey, Dad, I, I really, you know, I'm going to drop all my courses at DePaul, and I'm going to." I'm going to manage this rap artist. I was like, really? Can this, can this wait till after you graduate? And he goes, no, dad, this can't wait. And uh, this kid's going to be amazing. And uh, um, Chance and his father have offered me this incredible opportunity and I want to take it. And literally I took the phone. I said, okay. Talk to your mom. Talk to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave the phone to Maureen and I got up and I walked out of the room. I went upstairs and I went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I knew because Maureen, my wife of a long 40 years, we've hung out together. I knew she was going to say to me, we got to give him a chance. You got to let him do this. We're going to give him one year. I said, OK. And so that that was it. And we uh, we told Pat that, uh, OK, we're with you. You got, you got a year to see what happens and let's go. Yeah. And and we did family therapy. We, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, the family therapy, I think, you know, it's just their their safety net to make sure that, OK, if we're going to give him a year, let's make sure that we're supporting as much as possible. And uh, there's a funny story of, you know, the last time when we walked into the family therapy office, uh, the therapist comes in the room and it's sort of set up like this. You know, mom, dad, Pat's in the middle, you know, <laughs> and uh, we're all going to have our, you know, we're going to duke it out for an hour with the therapist uh, refing. And uh, we walk in, the therapist has got a huge smile on his face. And he, um, he's like, um, you want to know something crazy? And I was like, what's going on? Because uh, that was weird when a therapist would say, say that to yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I heard Chance's music on the radio this morning on the way into the, the therapy office. And I looked at my mom and dad. I was like, this is the last session <laughs> we're ever going to. <laughs> and... Uh, and that was the last session it was. and we walked out and I think, you know, I, at the time being young was sort of like, see, like what Told the you. fuck I've been talking about <laughs> forever. And they, um, 
and they were like, yeah, whatever. Don't, don't fuck it up pretty much. <laughs> and so, um, the next like week or two, we had our chances first ever headlining show in Chicago at, uh, Lincoln hall, which is a tiny little venue in Lincoln park, uh, 500 person venue and, uh, chance myself, his father, um, and a group of friends, we went to, I had it been 30 high schools, um, every single library, um, that you can imagine. And we put posters everywhere and we'd post on Twitter. Hey, chance is going to be at, um, you know, Latin or he'll be at Jones prep selling tickets to the show. So we were out, you know, selling tickets, campaigning this whole show. And, um, that was a, it was a, it was one of the little victories on the, on the path, you know? So it was, it was amazing. Hand to hand trying to get people to do whatever listen. we could to yeah. say that, you know, when we ended up started going to meetings in the summer of 2012, which was, you know, meeting with the industry and publishers and labels, being able to say that in those meetings, we sold out Chicago, you know, having something, you know, to, to, you know, to up the ante a little bit. So Jerry, was there a, a, a light bulb moment for you when you went from, God, this kid needs therapy to, holy shit, this is really going to happen. And, and this is amazing. I mean, when did, when did that happen? Well, I think the same event that Lincoln Hall, Pat said, hey, chances playing Lincoln Hall. It's going to be a sellout. Come on over. And uh, Maureen and I came over and it was like, whoa, this is, uh, this is real. So then we, uh, we started supporting. Uh, I, you know, we we're always supporting him. But then it was like, whoa, this could really have legs. Yeah. This is not an experiment, right? And so and they were off and running these two guys. Well, let's let's turn back a little bit to RGO and, and your your role there. Um, you mentioned briefly that you have taken that organization from a U.S. only, largely only uh, uh, FCM that create caters to producers and farmers and others. Um, and now it is a global entity. So I think Pat you know, has a vision for for his career. What is the RJO vision and, and what, where, where are you trying to go with this uniquely non-bank FCM that could serve the global marketplace? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, well, look, at um, it's been a long journey. It's been 33 years and everything we've done is, has been in the, in the viewpoint of, you know, creating, you know, making sure RGO is relevant, making sure that we're strong, um, making sure that uh, we're risk adverse. And also being really creative and, and following the path of the futures industry instead of fighting the path of the futures industry. I saw in my lifetime probably over 100 family-owned FCMs in the Chicago area fight change, fight electronics, fight mergers. And, you know, my spirit is I embraced it. And this, there's going to be opportunities for it. So, you know, we've had a constant effort to stay relevant but also stay with our long-term constituents, which are farmers and ranchers and those of, that supported us and the introducing broker community. RGO still is the market share leader in introducing brokers. We love introducing brokers, what they do and the importance of who they serve. And so we've never abandoned them, but as things became more complex in the industry in terms of cost um, for technology, cost for law and compliance, we couldn't stand pat. So we had to keep thinking about what's the next step for us. And it was always, I'm, I've always been a change agent. Um, I like telling the story that when I was a kid, we lived in a very modest house, but about every two years I'd move the bed from one side of the room 
to the other side of the room and moved the dresser over here. And I felt like, man, this is a great new room I got here, you know? <laughs> and so we've, you know, I've had a lot of people in the company like get dismayed when I say, okay, we're shifting gears. Now we got to start doing this, but we've done it. Um, we've done it. I think in a fashion that was um, the right pace for us. Um, and we've demonstrated to the futures industry that RGO is not, you know, we're family owned, but we're not, um, we're not a mom and pop type operation. We're extraordinarily professional. Um, we're extraordinarily um, keen on serving the marketplace and customers. And we don't take a lot of risk. And, you know, we're the turtle. And yeah. I've seen a million rabbits come and go. And it's paid off for us. And so where are we going with this? We're going to continue to find markets that we can succeed in um, and keep growing the business. We have now started coming to grips with that. Just the agency only model, you know, might not be sustainable alone in the long run. So we're doing some matched principal business now. Um, we developed uh, an OTC platform for principally the U.S. agricultural community, community that I think we can globalize at one point. And so we're servicing and serving our, our key constituents in the United States. We're building a nice platform for OTC. Um, we also have developed um, a product that is agri-tech orientated for, to, the, to the elevator system in the United States. Um, we've got a great client in, in the audience here from Senex Arbus States. So we're partners with them and a lot of these um, opportunities to develop new products. So we have to we have to continue to say sitting still is is kind of like a death sentence and we have to keep thinking what's next and we can't get over our skis getting into new products like we haven't ventured into equities uh, much it's it's very competitive everyone just announced zero commission rates for equities I'm glad we didn't get into that space but globalization is part of it new products so I always say to everybody we got to stay relevant in geography and relevant in product. And that's what we'll continue to do. And, and how is an organization grows, do you keep the culture? Because there is some magic sauce there at RJO that, you know, whether it, it feels, you know, it feels more like a, you talk about a family business, but, mm -hmm. but there is something to that, that you want to keep the values, the principles. How, how do you do that when you grow globally? You work very hard at it and you can't, um, you can't forget where your roots are. So you have to take care of people. Yeah. Um, I get a little choked up about this. You have to be performance oriented. I mean, RGO does not retain people who don't get their job done. But yet high performers, you know, go to the play, go to the football game. Someone's sick, take care of them. That's how you keep it together. Hmm. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah, it's. We need, we need more of that passion. And I can see how that has translated to your son um, and his success of thinking about how to, how to help people and the drive and the passion for your business. Um, <clears throat> how do you react to your, your dad's, what he just said. I mean, I, I'm getting a little dewy-eyed over here myself. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's, it's so important. <laughs> I'm that, passionate about it. Yeah. No, I know. And, and and that translates to others and it's contagious. And how have you in your business, like when you try to surround yourself 
in choosing an artist or choosing people to work with, does some of that rub off on you? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, I think, you know, in the beginning of this talk, you know, him surrounding himself with amazing people and keeping that, uh, that membrane, you know, super positive and being there for each other is, is a big part of what, what we need as just humans. So outside of the business side of things, um, what, what Pat and Jerry need as humans are people that, you know, that are going to rally around each other and that uh, we're going to take care of each other. And, um, you know, that that's reflected a lot in what we do personally and professionally. So, and, um, you know, I'm the same way as him. So, you know, it's, uh, we're not, we're very, we're passionate to the core. And when we start talking about things that we're passionate about, it's, it's game over. So, you know, and, and, you know, it might, it might be a check mark in somebody, some people's books, but you know, when you've got a, in your own words, a legend in the industry in front of a panel, you know, who's ready to, you know, just spill it all out for, uh, the way that he feels about his company. I think that's something pretty special. It is special. Yeah. It is special. So the, um, in your world, when you first got into the music business, I, you know, your dad had a passion. Um, what got you into the music? I mean, was this like literally you were you were a young kid growing up listening to music, loving, you yeah. know, all sorts of music. And you know, those crazy like 500 CD CD changers that they had like yeah. in the early 2000s. Yeah. So he had like one of the first ones in like the United <laughs> States. It was insane. <laughs> and um, and we, he's just always had in every home that we've lived in, like speakers hidden everywhere. So we were the, the so you liked music growing up. Yeah. As well. I love music. Yeah. And uh, Johnny O'Brien and I love music and his family loves writing music. It's just part of the DNA we all had kind of. So that was passed down in the, the Corcoran family. Yeah. There was speakers hidden everywhere, like speakers, like rocks in the front yard that had speakers <laughs> in them. So I'd get home from, you know, school some days and. You know, uh, he had forgotten to turn off the music and, it, you know, the Beatles would be playing when I walked up to the house. And so I think just from a young age, you know, music was a big, big part of, uh, of, of my life in terms of, you know, where I got, you know, a lot of joy and, and, um, and had a lot of fun with. And, um, and also, you know, witnessed a lot of people having a lot of fun with it. So something that I, that I had the spark for, but also when I saw other people really enjoying it, it, it it sort of drove me to, to, um, you know, enjoy it even more. It was, it was fashionable. Let's talk a little bit about chance because I, I remember, you know, I'm a 52 year old white male. I, you know, I wasn't really exposed to chance until Jerry told me about it probably five years ago. And I downloaded one of his, one of his CDs and amazed that, um, you know, amazed that his, 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 his work is much different than much, most of rap stars that I've listened to. It's very inspirational, some faith-based. Mm -hmm. um, what, what caused you to say, this guy has it? I mean, this guy has a different sound, a different message than other artists that you were around. Yeah. I, you, know, I, you know, if you listen to the music, it's pretty apparent. But, um, you know, I think just, I think maybe comparing to something that would make it more digestible for, for, the, for the audience. But, um, you know, when, in, in, in athletics and sports, there's, there's the tallest, there's the fastest, there's the strongest, those who can jump the highest. And then there's just players, right? right? Who might not be the tallest or lift the most weight or, or jump the highest. And, and, you know, and with chance, um, although that he, he is like at the excellence level of, 
of all those um, would-be comparisons in the music industry, uh, he just had it in him in terms of being an artist and telling a story. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, this is going to, the, the, the idea bubble that went off in my head wasn't, this is going to sell like crazy. It was, I fucking love this. Right. You believe and in And everyone else is going to love this too. Right. So it started with me. Right. You know, and, and a small group of other people who really believed in him. And I guess that sounded a little weird, you know, chances who he is. And, but, you know, me helping him achieve a lot of the things that we've achieved is rooted in my love for him as a, as a player in the, you know, in the game and as a player in the music game. So, um, yeah, he's just got that natural ability to tell a story and inspire people. This past <coughs> weekend, he was on Saturday Night Live and um, he hosted, hosted yeah. and he was the musical guest and um, his ability to just, um, you know, tell a story and, and make people get emotional is, is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Are, are there other artists you're hoping to to put into your, your business partnership? And- yeah, slowly but surely. Yeah. yeah, slowly but surely, you know. I think for me, um, you know, when I was 19 and we started talking about doing all this music stuff together, um, we created all these goals, right? And somehow, some way I've been able to knock everything off the list. And, um, and so for me, you know, I'm sort of in a place of reflection of, you know, the last 10 years I've created so many amazing goals and I've been blessed to achieve them with some of the most amazing people on earth. And so I think it's super important before I dive into the next phase of my life and career, whether that be 10 years, 20, 30, 40, potentially the rest of my life, that I do the research and I really make sure that the goals that I, that I set out for myself are, are true and, you know, amazing, you know, so I'm sort of in that phase right now. And, uh, it's a little weird, you know, when you get to the end of the race and you've, you've done your best and, um, you know, I, and I'm just sort of trying to, to, to strategize for the next steps. You're at the beginning of the race, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate to tell you this. Yeah. You know, I might be. You haven't left the, the start be, line yet. I might yeah. be in, uh, in years. I'll be 30 in February, but yeah. I'll tell you, my dad knows um, there's a lot of mileage on this, on this body, on my heart <laughs> and, uh, on my brain. I, I know the futures industry is a, is a riot. You guys could all have fun at the, the stakeout tonight, but, um, the music industry is a whole nother level of partying and, and work. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I've got a lot of mileage and we've also accomplished amazing things. So I thought it would take me a lot longer to accomplish all the things that we have, the Grammys and, headlining every relevant festival on the face of the planet and playing stadiums and arenas and all that stuff. I thought it would take 20 years. It only took seven. And are you, are you able to stay in the moment to appreciate it, to look around and say, Oh my God, I'm on the stage at the Grammys Yeah, or I'm at Saturday night live. Yeah. I mean, do you understand sort of the weight and significance of all that? Are you able to appreciate it a bit? Totally. Well, I try to as much as possible. Yeah. And, um, you know, every time, you know, Grammys, SNL, Fallon, Kimmel, anything. My parents are always there so we can enjoy it together. Well, tell me about that, Jerry. I mean, you've been able to go along for the ride a bit. I mean, what's it like from a parent's point of view to to be exposed to all this? Well, just, you know, what Pat and Chance have done in such a short period of time is just, you know, kind of 
obviously exceeded all expectations, but it's it was like a, a, a regular progression of seeing these two boys do special things and work so well together as partners and don't have any glass ceilings to what they can achieve, right? I, I remember when uh, Chance's uh, album, Coloring Book, was so well received. And, you know, I was like, could he win some awards for this? Well, Dad, they don't let streaming you know, isn't eligible for the Grammys. And then the next thing I hear is that t- these two guys started a, you know, a, 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 a movement, a, campaign, yeah. a, a movement and a campaign to allow streaming um, music from artists to be eligible for Grammys. They got the Grammys to change the rules and then they win three Grammys. Wow. And like just watching these guys grassrooted themselves. You figured that out, right? Yeah. You know, and, and they had a lot of, Guys working sure, with them. Sure. Well, I, I just read Jerry had alerted me that the, you were up for a Grammy. And so we were watching it. It was amazing to see you up on stage yeah. with all that. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So, I mean, you do come from two generations and millennials, you know, I'm always struck by how fearless the young are nowadays. You know, they're not, you know, my generation had to put in the work. You had to wait in line. You were thought linear, you know, that, you know, my career path goes from step a to B to C, you guys are thinking, how do I get to the C-suite, you know, quickly? And how do I, how do I jump the line? And, um, you know, I, I think our generation gets a little frustrated by that, but I, I sort of admire it, you know, that you guys don't think about barriers. Um, you know, you just see something, you write a, do a campaign and you go for it, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. with a lot of success. So I'm just curious think, from both of you, yeah. are those generational differences or um, um, do you see some of that, Jerry? I can see what you're saying, but when it came to R.J. O'Brien, like Johnny O'Brien and I, we had no glass ceilings. Like yeah. people would say, like, you guys aren't going to make it or you guys can't do that or, you know, don't even try. <laughs> I remember so many people thinking we couldn't get things done, you know, and we always did it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's part of the DNA the spirit of an here, entrepreneur. I agree. I like it. I love the millennials. Um, I really embrace them and love to see what they're doing. Um, I'm learning a lot from them in our company. And we're trying to really make our workspace and how we interact the company overall is, 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 is being really focused on millennials because they're the ones that are going to be driving this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just to add on to that. I think, you know, the millennial mindset is, you know, we can accomplish anything, you right. know, and some of the most amazing companies in the last 10 years, millennial driven. Um, but I do think that part of the reason why Chance is successful and some of the members of the team that, you know, that we put together um, is that we get out and work too. And, um, and I think, you know, the millennial mindset is, you know, we can do anything, but how do we how do we accomplish it with the least amount of calories burned? Mm-hmm. And um, and um, and for me, you know, I was I've I've never been shy to um, make the sacrifices. And so there's calories burned, and then on top of the calories burned, there's the sacrifices. So um, you know, I've missed weddings and funerals and things that I didn't want to miss because I needed to, in the beginning because I needed to be there for a chance. And, um, and, you know, there's so many people that I sit down with over a glass of wine or dinner or something. And they say, I'm doing all these things. And I'm like, you know, then we start talking about sacrifices, you know, well, I don't, I want to live in this type of apartment. I want to drive this type of car and 
I, you know, I don't, I want to have six weeks of vacation. It's just like, well, I think, you know, you've got everything right, but you got to burn more calories and you got to be willing to make a sacrifice every now and then. I, I truly think that's been a big difference maker in my journey is being able to discern when to make those sacrifices and probably being more prone to making sacrifices than not. Um, and you saw that from your father growing up. Yeah, definitely. You yeah. know, obviously when, um, you know, when we go off, you know, when we go off and we have fun, you know, we take advantage of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have those celebrations at the Grammys. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. After we won the first one, I think I, I drank, you know, four gin and tonics as fast, <laughs> as, as fast as I could. And then the second time we went up on stage, I was a little, <laughs> but uh, I was a little happier. But, um, you know, so those are moments that, that we like to celebrate. But, yeah, you know, we've got to we've got to go in day in, day out and, and do the job and, and get it done. And. I'm not, we're both really not one to work ourselves to the bone. Um, but we do work. Obviously we work work smart. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, we do work smart. We do work hard. And, um, you know, we, um, I don't know there's just sort of this inherent, like we've got to get something done and we're going to strategize and plot and work until that's done. And so it's, um, I, you know, I thank him for, you know, embedding that into my DNA. Yeah. So we're here in Chicago. You guys are born and bred here, work here, live here. Bears suck. Uh, yeah, bears suck. Yes. Um, <laughs> but wait, what um, is there something here in Chicago? I, I love coming here. I just think I, I'm a Midwesterner. I was born here, moved to Indiana when I was young. Um, but there's something magic about Chicago. Wait, what's your view? Is is part of the context of all this the atmosphere of Chicago and and the can-do attitude of this town? Yeah, Chicago is, uh, you know, it's just a warm city. Yeah. The folks here in Chicago are warm people. They work hard. Um, it's a world-class city. You know, it's the geography is amazing. You can get anywhere in the world from Chicago. Um, great culture in Chicago. The Art Institute, by some measures, is considered the best museum in the world. Right. We have all these athletic teams that are fun. Um Cubs winning a World Series, White Sox won one before them, um, if you want to say White Sox wins. But, but I had a, um, a great uncle that was from Minneapolis. You know, the Corcorans came down through Canada into Minneapolis. His name was Uncle Lincoln, we'd call him. And Uncle Lincoln had an expression, I don't know, maybe my dad or my grandfather, but he says, if you can't make it in Chicago, you're not going to make it anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's true, right? You know, Chicago is just a, a city that offers everything one could want and uh they embrace uh visitors and it's a cool place so i i'm always going to call chicago my home although the winters get a little tougher to hang around at. yeah 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 and the, and the music mix here is incredible too pat i yeah. mean between sort of the delta blues coming north and you know the rock bands and alternative music was really big here um welcome yeah. So it's, it's an amazing place. Yeah. It's incredible. And I think, you know, inherently as Chicagoans, you know, there's the old saying, you know, I got a guy. And, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like inherent in our blood as Chicagoans that we're networkers, you know, it's like, so you meet somebody at the Cubs game and you can end up being friends with them for 20 years. And, you know, they, uh, you know, whether they're your, they end up being your accountants or they change the oil in your car. It's like, you gotta, you got a guy. So it's like, um, you know, when we sit down in the old neighborhood, yeah. And you need anything. It's just sort of inherent. And um, I think that's from definitely for me has driven a lot of, the, you know, my can do attitude 
you know, when somebody tells me, when Chance says, you know, I want to have Kanye West and Justin Bieber on my album. You know, I don't say I got a guy, but I, you know, I think that to myself. Right. I think like we, we got we that. that. We yeah. got that, yeah. you know, and I, I think I see it in RJO a lot too. You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, I'm not involved in any way, shape or form. Um, I, you know, had my summer jobs and, and so on and so forth, but it did always feel to me like, Hey, we're your guy, you know, we'll, we'll go the extra step or we'll take the extra care that you need on the phone or on the computer or with your service. And uh, I think, you know, we share that mentality that 100% comes from Chicago that, you know, you got a guy, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to take care of you. And, and so whether that's, you know, my dad, the O'Briens, you know, building what they've built and, you know, which I'm incredibly proud of, or, you know, what Chance and I have, have dreamed up and, and we've said, I'm your guy, I can do this with you and let's do it. So, you know, changing the rules to the Grammys and you know, we broke the attendance record, um, at guaranteed rate when we did our festival there. And, um, you know, I, I love being that person who says, uh, no to certain things for sure. Um, but for some special, you know, as many special things as possible saying, let's do it. We can do this. And, um, it's definitely Chicago rooted for sure. Chicago is such a magic place. We were, we have an industry band that we play in called Pork Belly and the Outtrades. Uh, I'm Pork Belly. So, um, but we were at Buddy Guy's last night playing and Buddy Guy walked on stage and played music with us. Wow. And I was like, how does that, you know, yeah. only Chicago That's would, would so you great. be able to hang out with Buddy Guy and play blues on stage? And it's just, it's just a magic place here in Chicago. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, the thing is the futures industry has been, a huge part of Chicago yeah. and the culture of Chicago and um, so many, so many people. I mean, hundreds for a hundred years, the Board of Trade and the CME have been around providing jobs and entrepreneurial opportunities for so many people. Um, there's families and, you know, uh, that go back three or four generations that all, you know, built their net worth and raised their kids on right. working at the Board of Trade or the CME. It, without those two exchanges, Chicago might be quite a bit different, to be honest with you. So yeah. futures industry really has played and continues to play with the CMEs, a, you know, a global organization that their headquarters is Chicago. Right. So it's been a it's been a great connection between Chicago and the futures industry. Well, I know we're running out of time here, but I did want to just close with uh, asking you both a question and starting with Jerry. Um, you know, with Pat here, I just want to hear what you're most proud of Pat um, in his career and so far. Well, he's Pat is a is a visionary, and uh, he's a can do person. He gets things done, and he uh, you know he's loyal, he's trustworthy, and um, he's hardworking. But he he'll also challenge you. I mean, which I think is great that we all have to be challenged. Um, with a question like maybe we should do it differently or why are we doing it this way? And so um, hardworking, honest, all the things a father would want. And Pat, what what is it about your dad that you most look up to? Mm. You, you know, obviously being here at the, the FIA, um, you know, we, you know, I'm proud of everything that he's, he is as a business person. Um, but I think just the, 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 person that he is as a father, as a friend, as a mentor to so many in our community, in our little community. And, um, you know, it's always a good feeling when, you know, I was at the Northwestern game last weekend and everybody just 
raves about my dad and uh, they see him maybe once a year. And so that's probably, you know, outside of everything else, um, you know, it's possible to be successful and have billion dollar transactions and still be a down to earth, good person. And, you know, as I have my journey and my personal and professional life, I, I try to emulate that as much as possible. So. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time, but I just want to say how extraordinary it's been to be up here and to talk to both of these leaders uh, in our industry. So please join me in thanking Pat and Jerry Colton. Thank you. FIA Speaks is brought to you by the staff of the FIA. Steve Adamski is our executive producer. Cameron Lane is our technical producer with additional technical support from Craig Richardson. We welcome your feedback on these podcasts at fiaspeaks at fia.org. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast's content. Reliance on the podcast content is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2019 FIA, all rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.